in 1 Corinthians 14, which is where we are. Now, here's the thing we got in 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to try to finish it because we spent numerous weeks talking about gifts. Then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 is a monster chapter, a lot of verses, a lot of, lot of stuff in there. And I'm going to go through that, probably going to take about three weeks, and we got chapter 16, then we're through, and we'll probably still have a little time left in the spring. Uh, but when May comes, we got, you know, we got some stuff with the wand and the wars and a few things, so it gets a little hectic, but we're going we're gonna to do all this. And it's hard to believe we've been in 1 Corinthians going back and starting in September, and it's gone. It just seems like we just started. So one of the things that's so important, and I want to remind you this, because we're coming, we're going to be in this section that has so much stuff that doesn't pertain to us in our culture today. Doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean that's not holy inspired scripture. Doesn't mean we don't learn from it. Doesn't mean all of that. But we have trouble relating to some of this material. And when we have trouble relating to some of it, here's what we do. We try to take that and fit it into our world and, and, and we come up with these kind of rules and regulations and, and, and it doesn't always work. Sometimes you need to just sit back and say, that is fascinating. It probably doesn't really relate to me. What can I learn from it to help my faith? I do that all the time. There's going to be something in 1 Corinthians 15 that I'm going to tell you, I got absolutely no idea why that's there. I have no clue what's going on. I'll give you some ideas and I'll say, yeah, I don't worry about it. And I move on. I have learned not to worry about things that don't pertain to me. Except when driving, then I worry about things. But I have learned in Scripture. Yeah, that really pertains. There's some stuff in here. Like, yeah, I go, well, my problem. But I need to learn from it and, and, and to work through the process of connecting the way I need to connect with God. Remember this. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth about four or five years after he started that church. Most all of them came from paganism. Corinth was an unbelievably pagan city. I mean, it was just the, the immorality, all the stuff that we're dealing with, ah, that's nothing compared to what they dealt with. I'm serious. It was, every bit is worse than what we deal with. Only without the internet. I mean, it's just, but it was out there in the streets. And all the practices and and understand, there was a time when women had basically no rights. Unless you were very wealthy, you, you, you had no rights. And Christianity gave so much freedom to people. And it gave so much life to people. <laughs> that it was easy to abuse it. And Paul always had in mind that as they were trying to reach the pagan world, Christianity, which was a tiny minority, could not look weird it couldn't look freaky. It could not lose credibility before people had a chance to hear the gospel. By the way, oftentimes today, while we may not look weird and freaky, we lose credibility with people before they ever hear a chance to gospel all the time. It happens. So keep that in mind. I'm going to go through these, you know, I, I was supposed to go through a certain point last week. I stopped early. I'm going to go through that quickly. Listen fast. Verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue, that is a spiritual language, pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also, and I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. So let me sit right there. 
he is saying, speaking in unknown foreign, I mean, unknown spiritual language, not foreign language, but heavenly languages, whatever you want to call them, glossolalia, charismatic languages, is normative. It happens. But in public, it, and I'm going to get into more detail on this in a minute, you need someone to interpret it. That was the spiritual gift. He said, what happens when you do this is your spirit is, is uplifted and edified, but it's not fruitful. You're not thinking. When I pray, now, I only know how to pray in one language. Right? I see English. Okay? Because I hadn't mastered that yet, so I'm working on it. You know? uh, when I pray, my mind, my mind is supposed to be productive. Now, have you ever had one of those prayers where you're dozing off and you just keep saying, Lord be with my wife. And you do that, and, and you keep thinking, oh, that you say that about 20 times, and you're acting like you're really praying for your wife because you care for her, but basically you're falling asleep and your mind is unproductive. Paul gives insight here, by the way. What we do, he talks about edification, is to help us. It's not to help God. When, you, when I pray, I'm not praying to convince God to do something. It's like, you know, four or five of us to pray and it's not working. Let's get eight more to pray and then God will give in. Which is how some people think about prayer. Oh, we got to pray harder. Got to get more people praying. Yeah, no, it didn't work that way. Prayer is to position me to be where God wants me to be. Now, granted, I ask God for stuff all the time. I did it today. And, you know, when I pray, you know, pray for wisdom and guidance. I pray for people's health. I, I, all of that. But in that whole process, no matter what I'm praying for, I am praying that I will be used by God to somehow honor him and help people in whatever capacity. I want to edify and build and lift you up. When I'm working on sermons and I'm praying about sermons with this lesson, my goal is to help you get from point A to point B in a way that honors God. Doing a funeral tomorrow. You know what my number one task in a funeral is? Honor God. The second thing is comfort the family. Honor God, comfort the family. That's what I do. So that is fruitful. That is productive. It is intelligent. Speaking in tongues without an interpreter does nothing. Oh, but I feel good. Well, whoop de do. You feel good. What does it accomplish? It doesn't help God. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness you praise me. I feel better as God. You know why you honor God and praise him? Because you were compelled to within your spirit. It benefits you. It helps you when you praise God to be where God wants you to be. Here's what I find out. When I'm living a life that honors God and I'm praising God, I'm more likely to be where God wants me to be than if I'm living a life where I don't care whether I praise God or not. God's still God. If I don't praise him, somebody else will. Jesus said, you don't want to honor God, he brace up rocks to do that. It's for our benefit. So when you're speaking in tongues, this is what I hear. I hear this sometimes when people pray. I remember hearing, and I'm not going to get through today's lesson. Oh, well. I can't tell you how many times, you know, someone's prayed, you know, and, and we talk about prayer, and they're praying for, I mean, they're praying publicly, and you can't hear them, or it's kind of long. They say, well, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to God. I said, I got you. In your arrogant, condescending, jerky way, I got you. But you're representing me, and if you're going to represent me when you come before God, two things. First, I want to know what you're saying, because I disagree with you. I need to let God know I don't agree with that knucklehead. 
And don't trust me. I've had people pray. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. No, that's not me. Secondly, I may need to correct you if you're wrong in your prayer. But you're praying for my benefit, not God's. When I pray, like I did a while ago, I, wasn't, I was talking to God, but I wasn't praying for his benefit. I was talking to God, praying for our benefit. And the benefit of others who need encouragement. I'm honoring God and glorifying God because God deserves it. And I'm compelled to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I get through. Verse 16. And he says, not only that, if you sing as well. So I pray when I sing. You sing with your mind. Now, that, that's, not, that's not so much talking about what Mike was doing a while ago. I mean, obviously, you know, it's talking about people who also just kind of sing song their way through. We don't have that in our world. We just don't have the world. But people who just kind of make up, they're making up songs and singing as they go along. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're going through in the radio and you don't know the words to the song and you just make up the words to the song. That's just, they're just making up words. Don't you hate it when someone comes on and they're singing a song and they don't know the words to their own song? They sing your own. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen that you're giving thanks? He doesn't know what you're saying. You're spabbling in tongues. No one knows what you're saying. How in the world can they say praise God, amen? How are they going to benefit? You're giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not, what's the word, edified. They are not built up. What I do publicly is to build you up, to edify you. I mean, I'm evangelizing. You can use all the words you want. When I do this, when I preach Sunday, that's what it's for. And, and on Sundays, I have a lot more people come to our church who don't know Jesus than I do on Wednesdays, just percentage-wise. I mean, you know, people probably aren't going to come on Wednesday night if they don't know Jesus. There's four or five of you I'm looking at. They might be an exception, but that's probably the case. So I'm going to preach more to help them come to faith. That's what edifies the person who doesn't know Jesus to come to faith. That's pretty good. So all that makes a difference. If I'm in my connect group on Thursday, completely different way of edifying. Um, verse 18, I thank God. This is what Paul says. I thank God I speak tongues more than all of y'all. Paul spoke in tongues. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, I love Paul. I speak in tongues more than any of you guys speak in tongues. But I'd rather just say five words that people can understand than 10,000 nobody can figure out. That's pretty good. There are a lot of preachers who can preach for an hour and not know what they say. I only preach for 30 minutes. You don't know what I say. So to feel lucky. Verse 20, brethren, I love this. Do not be children in your thinking. <laughs> Do not be immature. Don't be babies. Yet in, and yet in evil be an infant. But in your thinking be mature. The idea of being mature is the word, comes to the word teleos, which means be complete. It's used all over the New Testament. You know, uh, um, James says it, I think. He says, consider all joy when you suffer the trials of many types, knowing that it will endure in perseverance and that it have its perfect work in, you, work in you, so you'll be complete in whole, lacking in nothing. You know, that just took the completeness. Then he quotes, um, 
Isaiah 28, in the law it is written, by men of strange tongues, by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So, verse 22. This is, this is kind of a crazy verse. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. And this doesn't make sense. Paul, you just said you'd rather speak five words to edify people. Now, you're saying that tongues is a sign to the lost, and prophecy is assigned to believers. So most likely what you have is one or two, one or, two or three things. It's a, it's a rhetorical statement. Or it's a question, or he's basically quoting someone else. I, I tend to think it's, it's kind of this question, saying this. He's saying, so then, are you saying that tongues are assigned to those who believe? But not, uh, uh, sorry, are you saying that tongues are not assigned to those who believe, but to unbelievers? Well, of course not. Are you saying that prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but those who believe? Well, of course not. So what he's, what he's saying is kind of this rhetorical question that has the obvious answer of, no, that's not true at all, obviously. That's, you know, Paul's obviously, tongues are not a sign for unbelievers. Obviously, prophecy is not just a sign for believers. So in verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you're crazy, mad? Now, most of the time they had little hot house churches, kind of like our connect groups might be. But occasionally they meet together. And if you all meet together, and in that general meeting, we invite others to come. Some may be new Christians who aren't gifted, or some may be lost. The unbelievable, pag- unbelieving pagans, just like you once were. And you're all speaking in tongues. They're going to think, crazy. One of the things that was so important for Paul in the early church was order in the midst of chaos. I love order in worship services. We even have an order of worship. That's how much we love order. I don't like chaos. I don't like surprises in worship. I know. I don't, I don't like things that happen. I don't like surprises ever. And no, there is no part of my life, unless you're giving me money, there is no part of my life where I like surprises. I like all the order and normalcy. But in a pagan world, when you're the tiny, tiny minority, tiny, tiny minority, and everybody's a pagan, you don't have much credibility. And if pagans think you're crazy, and remember, they had some of the craziest worship you could imagine. If they think you're crazy, you're crazy. You're not going to be able to connect with them. One other thing, and I know there's so much controversy in modern life today. We hear seeker-friendly churches and all this, and I get all that. And I don't think about us being a seeker-friendly church. It's not my goal at all. But my goal is always to make sure that a person who's never been to First Baptist Church and maybe he's not even a believer comes to our church, they feel okay. Now, when they leave, I don't necessarily want them to feel okay. I want them to feel like they need Jesus. I got that. But I want them to connect to us. I want them to feel like they belong. You know what I want? Here's what I want. When everyone was a guest, when some of you were guests at one time, here's what I want. I want you to come back one more time. That's all I want. Just come back one more time. And when you come back one more time, you know what I want then? Come back one more time. And after you come back one more time, four or five times, this will be your church. And then you'll start giving money to pay for all the fancy stuff we got. Get you come back one more time. I'm just kidding about that part. But if I dis- if, I, if you 
disconnect right off the bat. You may come back. In so many churches, have you ever been to a church and then they're giving something and they just start talking to the members? And, and, and like, we got this event coming up at so-and-so's house. And don't forget, after the service today, if, uh, if you're, you know, these people can meet over there in, in, buddies, in this guy's class. You ever hear that? And you're like, that doesn't pertain to me. You know how hard we try not to do that? And if we do something that just pertains to you, know, oh, you, how many times have you heard me apologize and say, listen, if you're a guest, I'm sorry, but for one moment, this doesn't apply to you. All, the whole impact, I had to do that. Because I was letting them know, I know, that what I'm about to do may make you feel left out. I don't want to do that. Forgive me. I ask basically forgiveness for doing that. Why? Because if they don't come back, how are they going to learn about Jesus? If we are so abrasive or so closed and so insider, why would they ever come back? So, if you're speaking in tongues, listen, if I go to a charismatic church, they start speaking in tongues, I have no idea what to do. I mean, they're speaking in tongues. So, you know what I'm going to do? Leave. First place, I'm never going to go to a charismatic church. Let me qualify that. So, I'm just not going to go. But if I accidentally end up in one, for whatever reason, because I didn't realize it, because the NyQuil kicked in, whatever reason, I'm going to leave. There's a lot of Baptist churches when I go to, I want to leave also, but my wife won't let me. <laughs> That's why I sit on the back row, because, honey, we're leaving. If that, if that music guy gives one more announcement, we're out of here. It's all the time. Um, verse four, 24, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by it. For the secrets are his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship and declare that God is certainly among you. In other words, when you, when you prophesy, when you proclaim the word of God, we've already talked about prophesying what it is. When you proclaim the word of God, people who aren't church members, people who aren't saved, who aren't Christians, all those pagans, it makes sense to them. And then their hearts are laid bare. You know how we know that's true? Because that's what happened to all those people in Corinth. For many of them, they heard Paul preach. And you know what happens when they heard Paul preach? They got saved. Or when Apollos came, you know what happened when they heard Apollos preach? They got saved. Or when they heard Peter, or they heard whoever, they heard the clear word of God, they came to Christ. You know why I work so hard to simplify things on Sunday and not get too caught up in crazy theology, things that people don't understand? Because I want people to come to Christ. They're not going to come to Christ if we get too carried away on crazy things. It's just true. It's not that I don't care about the crazy things. We'll do something in here. It's not, when I say crazy, I just mean some of the things that kind of get extravagant. Some of you get so caught up on stuff that doesn't matter. Why? Why do you get so caught up on things that simply do not matter? And then you come ask me about it. Then I feel like a jerk telling you, I don't care. What is the outcome then, brothers? That word brother is a gentle term. When you assemble... Each one has a psalm and has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue and an interpretation. Let all be done, done for edification. So he's what he's saying. Y'all assemble, whether in a small or large, and all the different people participate. Now here, this is not, we don't do this this way here. That is in, in the early church when it was just starting and people were coming to Christ. There was an excitement level and all that. And people were believers when they gathered 
Like, like if, if, if we be this many over here worshiping or this many just this worshiping, and, and, you know, and I've only been the pastor for, you know, maybe a year and a half, and, you know, we, and we all might have something to contribute, and so we'd worship, and I'd say something, and you say something, and you say something, and somebody may have a song to sing, and it was great, and somebody may speak in tongues, who's most likely going to speak in tongues, so you spoke in tongues, so, you know, whatever happens, we don't do it that way, nor are we going to. Why? Because our culture, that's not how we function. That's not, now some churches may do it. We're, this is a Baptist church. It's not just any Baptist church. It is First Baptist Church. Normally, First Baptist churches are really, what's the words I'm looking for? Yeah, well, I heard several. Keep saying, what are they? Stoic. Stoic, what else? Stuffy, what else? Yeah, all of that. And the preachers are usually not like me. We don't, but that's not going to work here, and that's okay. And by the way, if a church, and and, in many third world countries and missionary minded countries, that still works. It's okay. And if I, if I'm in another country and and I go to a worship service and that's how they worship, I want to be okay with that. But if I go to a city in Texas and go to a Baptist church and they do that, I'm not going to be okay. So, all of that should be done for what? Edification, to build up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, one or two or three at the most, each in turn must interpret. There's no interpreter, keep silent. (laughs) Let him speak to himself. If two or three prophets speak, let the others pass judgment or discern whether they said is true. If a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. If you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be exhorted, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, what is Paul saying? There is order. That's it. So you know what I learned from this passage as a Baptist pastor? We need order in our church worship services, not chaos. That's all. I mean, I'm not going to worry about, well, David, we don't let two or three people get up to speak. I know. That's okay. It's not how we do it. But we, we're going to honor God. That's how we do it. We don't, you know what we don't do? Remember, if you go to church where they would have testimony night and people get up and give testimonies? Oh, I hated that. Some of those testimonies were not honoring God at all. You know what they honored? Themselves. They just talked about them, all they've done. So if we do anything, we video it and edit out all that stuff. We have this philosophy we want video, you know, if we video somebody, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, but 30 seconds. All, all anyone can take, period. I mean, it's just, we just do things differently today. Now, verse 34. Yeah, I'm going to get to this tonight, but I only have six minutes. So that means you can't ask me questions about it when The women are to keep silent in the churches. Amen. Let's go. There we go. I guarantee you there are Baptist churches all over America who read that. That's the, on the entire 14th chapter. That's all the deacons read, right? That's all we need, preacher, women to keep silent, church. <laughs> For they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves just as the law also says. I love this part. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husband at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. 
Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or is it come to you only? Now, here's the thing. Okay. They're in a culture where women were always silent in every aspect of life. Women were subject to their husbands, totally and completely. Christ comes along and sets them free. They were coming to worship. They were learning. Some of them may have had questions. Okay. Then some of them started saying things. And pagans who came to church would see women stand up and do things. And they would be, oh, my goodness, you people are full of whatever. And they would turn around and leave. And it was causing chaos. So Paul says, for the sake of edification, don't do that. Now, in our country, by the way, because Christianity so freed people and elevated women in Western civilization, women's rights just skyrocketed. It's Christianity that did all that. Christians have nobody but themselves to blame for women speaking publicly in churches. That's what we've done. It's all Christ's fault. It's Paul's fault. Well, we don't have that same problem. So if, if, you, if you're one of those dudes that say, Paul says women aren't to speak in church, okay, that's fine. But you better take all of it from chapter 14, every stinking bit of it. And it's, you better allow for the speaking in tongues in worship. You better allow for people to, to, to stand up in the middle of the, the congregation and do it because they did it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna take this, remember I say context matters. If you're gonna take one part of it, you gotta take all of it, or you can do what I do. You can understand there's a context. How do I take that context and relate it to the world I'm in? It's not that women shouldn't speak, but here's how I look at. Well, I don't have a problem if a church wants a woman to have a preacher. I'm probably not gonna. I mean, I'm the pastor. Everybody says. You're going to have women preach? I'm the pastor. I do the preaching. So I'm the pastor. But I understand that while I personally think that if a church wants to have a woman pastor knock yourself out, I would never do it because it would cause too much trouble. I, I, I don't want to cause a lack of unity in the church. And because I don't want our church, which is doing well, to get caught up in something silly, I'm not going to get caught up in that. That's just a lot of things. It's not, there, are, there are dozens of things that I don't get caught up in because it wouldn't do any. Why? What's the purpose of it? Why do we need to do that? Well, they did it back then. Okay. We don't need to do it now. Is it going to help us? Or, is it going to further the cause? No. So I'm not going to do it. So women, and by, we, have, we have women sing. What's the difference between singing and speaking? You think I'm going to tell my wife, Debbie, you can't sing in the church. Keep quiet. Well, I look, you know, I'm not going to do that. Now, I mean, we have women teach men. We have one of our best Sunday school classes, a really sharp lady. The lady that teaches that class teaches it in part because she's smarter than every man in that class. And they're smart enough to know. Riverdale's smarter than all of them. So we let her teach. And I know some places says they're not supposed to teach men. Evidently, we didn't get that. So we got to go at 7 o'clock. So here's the thing. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, 
Let him recognize the things which I wrote to you are from the Lord. It's the Lord's commandments. I'm writing, Paul says, speaking for God. If he doesn't recognize this, he's not to be recognized. Therefore, my brother, earnestly decide. When all is said and done, chapter 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, in light of all the things I've written, desire to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. But here's the kicker. All things must be done properly in an orderly manner. So, when all is said and done. And by the way, Paul just got through saying, I don't allow women to speak, but do allow people to speak in tongues. Remember, if you take one, you got to take the other. So just do what verse 40 says. Do everything in an orderly manner. And if you take from the whole last four weeks of what I've talked about, or five weeks I've talked about giftedness, and everything that Paul says in chapter 12, 13, and 14, here's the thing you get. Make sure everything ed- glorifies God, edifies one another, and be orderly about it. That's, the, that, that's what I take from it. So I got five seconds left and I'm through. We'll see y'all later. I did finish it. I was surprised at that.